We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 288. We have a lovely couple as our guests today, and they have been a part of the industry for decades, almost 50 years. And I wanted to really have them on here to talk a little bit about their career and changes they've seen over the years. They have an incredible program, and I felt so honored to have them on the podcast. So please welcome the dynamic duo from Balmoral Farm, owner and operators, Tracy and Carlton Brooks. Hi, Carlton and Tracy. Hey, Bethany. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Well, um, it was a joy seeing you at indoors and um, hope you had a nice, good finale to your season and now taking a little bit of time back out west. But thank you so much for taking the time. I would love to hear about how the two of you first got started in the horse world. Tracy, take a run at it. (laughs) I was a horse crazy child. I don't know where it came from. My parents were are not horse people. And um, my grandfather took me to the racetrack. He used to like to go to the racetrack and bet on the horses. So when I was three, four or five years old, he took me to the racetrack. And I think that's what started it. And I started asking for riding lessons and went to summer camp. And it just spiraled out of control from there. Love it. Carlton, what about you? Uh, my grandfather had put me on a horse once or twice when my brother and sister had a couple riding lessons, but at early, uh, 66, when I was eight years old, we moved to a farm, a huge farm for us, 130 acres. And my brother and sister took off across the cornfields and out the back driveway to a local riding stable. And I was sitting at home playing with my wagon and I got bored. So I tagged along and then I fell in love with it and created a passion for it. Yeah. Amazing. Tell me a little bit about, obviously, the equestrian journey for both of you continued. What what happened? Give me a little rundown, highs, lows of what happened in between that point in time to then running a business together. Tracy, do you, what, what did you kind of do or find yourself? Were you planning on working in the horse world? What did that look like for you? I wanted to be with the horses and at the barn anytime I could. And I just felt like there was nothing else I would rather do, nowhere else I would rather be. The horse people felt like my people, my extended family. I went to college and even at college, I thought, oh, this is such a waste of time. I I get why it's important, but I would rather be at the barn. And I knew I always just wanted to be there. So in the summers, I worked as an assistant and then I started just doing more and started my own business when I was in my early 20s and basically did everything you know started started at the bottom I didn't I didn't have grooms I didn't have braiders I did everything and then just sort of hung in there and kept working through all all the things that are hard about this business right and just never never want to do anything else really I started in Ohio and ended up moving to California in the late 90s. 
And I tried to stop doing horses for the first year or two that I was in California. But then, of course, was drawn back into it. I had a real job. I did PR. And on the weekends, I found myself helping a trainer friend of mine. And then that bled into, oh, can you help me at the horse show? And then it was all horses all the time again after that. And it was soon after that that Carlton and I met. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did you meet? <laughs> it's a funny story. Oh, I love him love tell it. it. <laughs> His version's funnier. Oh, yep. So my history is I rode in the county horse shows once I was old enough, and they only had preliminary and open jumpers. And I, my first horse cost $250. Second horse cost $250. And I rode and hung out with friends. We tied the horses to horse trailers. Yep. Slept in the back of the pickup. When I was 16, a lady had offered me her junior hunter to show also. So I took my jumper and hunter to the Carolinas and worked for Russ Walter for two summers. Drove the box van up and down the mountains, uh, cleaned stalls, braided seven or eight horses every morning and showed. And then I was offered a job as soon as I graduated high school in California. So I bought an old two-horse trailer, stripped it down to the metal frame, rebuilt it, loaded my horse. By then, I just had a horse and loaded my horse up. My brother and I drove to California. Then I moved to Northern California in 77, worked for Butch and Lou Thomas for six or seven years, then started Uphill Farm, stayed there for 25, 30 years. And then after the story about Tracy, I couldn't leave her. So I came down to Southern California. Love it. That's awesome. So how did you two meet? So we're at the old Indio showgrounds and I'm showing. First off, I used to lay over. I used to go east in the summertime. I'd lay over at Hugh Cannon's barn. Hmm. And everyone asked me, do you know Tracy Barman in California? She used to have a business here. I said, no, I don't know who the hell that is. <laughs> Why would I know her? And then we're at Indio and I'm showing all my horses and this girl comes up. I've got my foot up on the fence, putting a spur on. And she goes, I got a horse for you to try. John French told me to show you this horse. I'm like, who the heck are you? I'm pretty sure I might have introduced myself. <laughs> well, probably. You know, I, you know, I don't listen to everything. And I do know that. I fell in love with her right away. Yeah, love at first sight. Oh, that's awesome. And then so, when did you get married? Oh, she made me pine for her for 12, 12 years, Tracy. Dump yeah, me, about that. let me come back, dump me again, let me come back. She made me work for it. Okay, well, worth yeah. it though, right? Oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> best, best decision, as everyone else in the horse business says, best decision I ever made. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, when was that? 12, 11, 10. So ni- 2010, we were married. Nice. Amazing. Tell me a little bit, Tracy, about, because obviously you've been working together for a long time. What is it about your dynamic? Do you feel like that has let you be business partners for so long that you are able to do it well? Obviously, there's there's hard moments um, for any, you know, like, partner situation, but especially being a marital partner. Tell me a little bit about the you know, pros and cons and, and what you kind of feel like has made your dynamic work so well. 
I think the main reason it works so well is that we trust each other completely. And even if we're not on the same page about something, we both know that we're trying to reach the same end goal. Mm -hmm. And we really try to take a step back and listen to each other and take a deep breath before we, we tell each other why we think the other one is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of decisions have to be made on the fly every day, every hour. So I think if we didn't trust each other completely, we would get stuck and not be able to keep moving forward. So I think that's the, the main thing. So one of the pros obviously is that we get to be together Although we say it doesn't really count necessarily because we're working and <laughs> we have a joke in the morning at the horse show. We say, have a nice day. I'll see you tonight. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> we barely, we barely see each other during the day. But one of the cons is that we have to schedule time for ourselves so that everything doesn't just cross into being work conversation or work related because it's, it's easy to do this 24 hours a day. So we have to really schedule a few hours a week where we're going to put our phones down and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about other things. And then we make a point of trying to schedule vacations, although we haven't been good about that lately, but, (laughs) um, but we have to, we have to really pay attention to taking time to have a relationship outside of work. Carlton, being a part of the industry for a while, I'm sure you've seen lots of you know, changes. And, you know, Tracy brings up one um, that we are kind of joking about that. It's like, oh, how are you a horse person that also takes vacation? I mean, has, have you noticed such a significant increase in the expectation to be showing, you know, as often as a lot of, you know, programs that you see at the higher levels doing? Tell me a little bit about that kind of shift or any other notable shifts you've noticed over the years. Well, being a professional for 48 years, I've seen definitely seen a lot of shifts. It used to be that the horse came first and you gave them time, either mm-hmm. between horse shows or through the winter. Now there's always a horse show. We are actually taking six weeks off, no horse shows. Yeah. And this week they're all going out for walks. Next week they'll start jogging a little bit and then we'll start hacking after that. I think the demands and the expectations have changed drastically. Now people think if they go through the motions of doing something, they should win. Mm -hmm. And it's such a long process and you're working with an animal that cannot communicate verbally to you. So you really have to take an in-depth amount of time to understand that animal and try to see it from where they're coming from. And I think most people don't take the time to do much of anything and they're missing that drastically. Right. What else have you noticed maybe in, I mean, you've seen a, you know, quite a shift in the type of horse or maybe where you get your horse or, you know, the prevalence of thoroughbreds in the hunter jumper world. What, what are some thoughts that you have on, you know, the level of horse or the type of horse throughout the years? Well, we all started, well, my generation started on thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. Thoroughbreds seem to have an aptitude to learn better sooner. And you didn't have to train on them so much. They also were used to going at a higher rate of speed, athletic-wise. I think now the shift to warm bloods because people didn't want to have to really learn how to ride them as much. Mm. 
but those horses are built to work at a lower heart rate and a lower speed and it takes repetition with a warm blood to get, to get the same point across much more repetition right. i think that uh they also need to be fitter because they are built to be a lo- lower rate of speed and a lower heart rate so you'll have to work them to get them physically better in shape uh more disciplined because they're used to just one routine all the time like the milk wagon horse or the you know the delivery horse of the olden day the carriage horse and uh i think it takes a lot more patience but patience in a different sense and a lot more self-discipline and the time to allow the process to happen which definitely takes more repetition definitely and i mean i feel like over the years you have really produced some of the best horses in the sport and some amazing horses and i feel like building confidence in the horses is something that is very important to your program um tracy what would you say are your maybe like top pieces of advice for building confidence in a horse i would say we always emphasize going forward with our horses and our riders. If something happens, if you have a jump that's that's not an ideal jump, the mm-hmm. first thing you'll hear one of us say is gallop away, gallop away, make it make a, a negative into a positive. Right. And I think if you can always read the horses a little bit, know what the horses need, but know that every horse needs positive reinforcement and and to think of things as going forward. I think that's one of the cornerstones of what we try to impart in the horses and the riders. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good piece of advice because I mean, you're coming, you know, together with clients and horses from all different, you know, backgrounds and things and situations that have maybe made them think or question otherwise. And so, yeah, taking that and, uh, finding ways to give them that positive reinforcement, I would say, is such a big part of of boosting that confidence. Um, Carlton, in one article, you are quoted as saying that sometimes the competing part is the least important when it comes to bringing a horse along. Uh, for someone who runs a, a very large show barn, it seems a little counterintuitive. Can you sp- expand a little bit more on what you mean? Um, you know, and you were kind of alluding to that with your time that you're taking off right now, but what you meant by that and how people can kind of take that advice into their own training program for their horses well let's talk about pressure if you just want to win you keep putting pressure on the horse pushing 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 they're not really learning it i say sometimes you need to just let them have the experience and then they'll understand what you're training them for i always figure you have to with a horse let them know what you're wanting them to do and then let them allow them to learn how to do it so if you're just trying to win you're not really putting a strong base on a horse. Every horse we have that goes on somewhere else, we want them to be better than we have. I mean, that's that's the, the bottom line goal. And our riders should be better. But they also have to learn, if they're having trouble doing something in the show ring, we rehearse it at home, but then they have to go through the process of totally understanding it at the horse show before they can execute it to the highest level. 
I love finding new equestrian fashion brands and I think I found another incredible one and that is Nikovian Equestrian. Have you heard of it? I recently found it and I really love their stuff. It is super sleek, really well made. I love their breeches. They're really high-waisted and beautiful. They also have loungewear and accessories, really great riding tops, but they're really made for riders by riders, which I think is such an important component to a really well understood, well thought out equestrian line. So make sure you go check them out before the holiday season. Be a perfect gift. That is nikovian.com. That's N-I-K-O-V-I-A-N.com. All right, let's get back to the episode. Definitely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As far as oh, something that I wanted to talk to you about, Carlton, uh, something that I I always see you in the models for for, you know, the various disciplines. And I think for a lot of people, there's a little bit of maybe like a, a gray area or maybe that's not necessarily educated in some programs as clearly as far as how to do what the judges are looking for, how to perfectly execute a model. Can you do a little, you know, a model for dummies? If someone's doing it for the first time, give me the, give me the rundown, give me some tips about how to, you know, put together a, a good model experience for your horse. Okay. First, you need to observe your horse, find out where their balance is. Then you need to look at their structure from the ground up. You want a horse to stand square in front. That doesn't mean each foot has to be equally in the same place. You need a wide horse, not both legs coming out of the front socket, the same socket. They have to come out of two different shoulders. When you bring them together, you have to stand them up so there is balance. You have to bring them together so the structure, the balance shows off their structure, and the structure shows off their balance. Most people stand them up and go, oh, their legs are clean. Well, your horse isn't balanced. It goes up 80% on its front end. You know, or the wither is four inches higher than its croup. Um, that's not balance. Mm. They may be able to perform, but the, we're work, with the model horse, you're looking for the ideal. And there's no ideal. But like the last horse we've had in the model, he was a nine plus out of 10. Most of them are a seven. Mm-hmm. And we've had two the, recently that were eight plus, actually probably nine plus, don't you think, Tracy? Yeah. Uh, but it's balanced structure. The feet have to be the same. There's a reason why your horse's feet aren't the same. You have to know the, the slope of their pasture because that's part of the structure. You have to understand the biomechanics of a horse to stand a model horse up correctly. Most horses are built to do their job, but the ultimate is what a model horse is. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks they're head and neck. We want a horse with a wide forehead, a big, wide, big eye, great expression, and understand that their head shouldn't be larger than in proportion to their body because if it is, it's pull, that's an anchor, pull them down on their front end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to have a regal look. That's the ideal, a look of eagles. And uh, people miss that. People miss it because they aren't detail oriented enough. I think that's why most people don't do the confirmation divisions because they do not want to bother with the details. Right. To me, it's more of a challenge to have a confirmation horse. Mm-hmm. Our show in the regular open divisions also. 
and are just as competitive. But to have that detail and maintain that detail through their career is a huge effort, and it shows that you're really paying attention. Right, definitely. I love that. Tracy, you've had, you know, the two of you have had a lot of success with horses and riders over the year. Are there any like stories in particular um, that stand out to you for either horses or clients or success stories that you've had over the past that stand out? Jesus, take the wheel, Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many stories. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple, an, an old one and a new one. Okay. We had a junior, Caitlin Van Kenneinenberg, and that's what Carlton was just referring to. And she was always a lot of fun. And the, she still is. The first time we took Caitlin to Devon, she was just very Caitlin. And she was in the schooling ring and everyone was being really serious. It was junior hunters and, you know, you can feel the tension. Yeah. And here comes Caitlin down to the schooling jump and she's five strides away and she knows she's chipping. And she blurts out, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) And it was always just comic relief. And after that, everyone knew Caitlin. And she was the first time again at Devon. She came out of the ring. She gets like, you know, 86 or something. She has a great round. 88. 88. (laughs) Get it right, Tracy. (laughs) Sorry. She comes out. She goes, I got to go. I got to go. What's wrong? What's wrong? She's like, I was going around and I was jumping the course and I saw a puppy and I just need to go and pet it. Oh, funny. I love it. (laughs) So it was just, you know, she just was very in the moment, which I think is what made her so good. And the horses all loved her. And that was Caitlin. And then there, this weekend, we had a little incident at the horse show. One of our pony kids who is just starting in the small ponies was riding one of her ponies in the children's ponies and it was the end of the day and it was starting to get a little shadowy and a mm-hmm. little dark and she was she did the whole course and she came down the last line and the pony just misjudged the last jump and caught its toe on the back rail of the oxer mm-hmm. and tripped and stumbled and she fell off and her vest went off and the pony fumbled around and it w- they were both fine and it looked scarier than it was. And we had tears, but the next day she came back and she rode and she won. And it, we told her, we said, that's the huge payoff is you showed up. And that's how this sport mm-hmm. is. It's, you're going to have a bad day and you're going to get banged up, but showing up and coming back and trying again is always going to serve you well. Totally. Yeah. That's such a great reminder for all of us. Yeah, it happens daily, sadly. Carlton, are there horses, um, obviously, that stick out in your mind as being, you know, extra special or just very big parts of your career? Wow, there's a lot of them. Every Mm -hmm. horse has taught me something. Yeah. When I was a young professional, we had a great owner, Mr. Joe O'Connell, and he had a horse he thought was going to run in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, The only way it was a winner if it was in the race behind the one he was running in. And he couldn't run at all. So he said, Junior, if you make this horse champion, I'll do, 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 do this and that. I said, okay, well, that was a challenge, right? It took <laughs> me all summer to get him to jump this one jump in the ring. And I had to figure it out. Yeah. The punishing him wouldn't work. And then I'm on the, back in the day, we had wall phones. And I'm actually talking to Mr. O'Connell and the horse is in the stall next to it. It had a yoke in the stall screen, and he started shaking his head up and down. So I started shaking my head in motion with him, 
Then I sped it up and he sped up. And then I started turning it to the left and the right. He started swinging his head to the left and the right. And I said, I no got way. you. And then from then on, he was champion of reserve almost every horse show. Wow. But that taught me to listen to my horses, emulate them and come from where they're coming from. And usually you can figure them out. Wow. The other so, one that I, I'm thinking in my head, uh, a more recent one is Pritchard Hill. Tell me a little bit, because you were, I mean, he brought you out of retirement. Tell me a little bit about that <laughs> dynamic. He's an incredible horse. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was showing him and he was really green and I'm never one to force a lead change. And uh, I had one horse I showed at indoors and he never changed his leads once. And everybody yelled at me and said he'd win every class. Change leads. I said, don't worry, he will. He was grand champion at the garden the next year. Hmm. Uh, but Pritchard Hill was so intelligent, he tried to outthink you. Hmm. And he worried about a lead change. Why? I don't know. And I never, I just was like, he's got to get stronger. He's this, he's that. And uh, I had given him to someone else to ride and they couldn't get a lead change, save their soul. So after Devin, I took him to every horse show, but I never showed him. Hmm. And I just waited and let him understand. And he'd do lead changes for me and jump two foot, three foot. And so then the week before indoors, that fellow couldn't ride him. So I rode him and he got ribbons and everything. Then I went to indoors and started showing him and the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I think from an outside perspective that maybe, you know, didn't know all of the details. Um, I mean, he has sent, he took, he took a few years to develop. And I feel like for some that would seem like, you know, too long of time or whatever, kind of knowing how, uh, how crazy rapid our industry can be sometimes. So what would you say? Obviously he wasn't one that you wanted to, like, it wasn't worth the risk of rushing him along. What are some other things that you kind of look for as cues to know that your horses that are kind of in that type of, you know, young horses that are in that type of training to, to let you know that they're kind of ready for that next step. Well, the one I spoke to you about earlier and then Pritchard Hill and then our last one, only always, we gave mm-hmm. them a year and a half to develop. Mm-hmm. And that may sound like a long time to everyone else, but it's not really that long for a horse's education. Yeah. And, uh, I think you have to do it in in segments. You show them for a while, then you back up, and then you show them for a while. Why does why do kids have summer break from school? Because they learn for a while, then they back up, and right. then they learn for a while, then they back up. And I think anyone that just keeps going at it, you might get the job done for the time being, but nothing's really solid. Right. And we want them to be solid forever. Right. And Not to mention burned out. Yeah, they're they're. There's an old saying in California, there's not enough rainy days, Mm. horse trainers saying, because Mm -hmm. you just keep going, you keep going, you keep going. Yeah. And uh, you have to learn to take breaks. And you have to let them absorb what you've done and rehearse it instead of just, oh, they learned that. Let's go teach them this tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I always say two steps forward, one step back. So they learn a bunch and then I go back and review two steps ago and then I add the step there was number two to another step and then I rehearsed to it again. I was writing a new one this morning and I thought, okay, this is what we're going to do this week. This is what we'll try next week. And 
you know, that's how I think. I'm not in a rush to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I think we spend a lot of time actually walking our horses with purpose. And we, you can train a horse basically at the walk. An old mm-hmm. horseman told me that. And it's so true. It's so true. But no one spends the time to walk their horses properly. Right. If you stand around at someone's barn or stable or you go to a horse show, no one, stand, no one spends time walking. They get to the ring, they pick up a trot. Right. And also, just out of the box thinking, if you take a horse and walk it to the paddock, you turn it loose, does it trot away or does it canter away? Hmm. Why don't you canter before you trot? Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. What would you say? Don't trot away. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about Carlton that you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Wow. Uh, There's a lot. (laughs) Um, I think that understanding what you want to accomplish and having a goal and working backwards from that goal is so integral to training a horse. Hmm. I just think people have to understand their horse and start with the process. And most people ride a horse from the front to the back where actually you should ride them from the back to the front. Mm -hmm. That's where the engine is. If you can get the back end to do something, it's easy to control the front. Right. And I think really starting that at at the walk and teaching that and having them understand that and start a ride off that way is such an important part of their training. Well, that's what I said. Next week, all our horses walk. Yeah. But walk with, with a plan, not just right. walk. Right. But walk with a plan. They they give to your leg. They are disciplined. They don't run through your hand. Mm-hmm. If they can do it at a walk, it's much easier at a trot and a canter. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Tracy, what would you say is an area of the industry that you're really passionate about, but you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? I think what we're trying to get out there recently is that we want people to embrace the process and we want to try to help provide education Mm -hmm. and we want the barrier to entry to be lower. I feel like some people feel like, oh, I can't do it at a high level. Therefore I'm afraid to start. Mm. So we don't want people to be afraid to start. We want everyone to start where they are and know that everything is a stepping stone. And that's what we say about our clinics too. We, we don't want people to come to us and say, oh, I wish I could ride in your clinic, but I'm not good enough. We do all levels and we want everybody to just embrace the process, start where you are and do it at a level that is comfortable for you, comfortable for your horse. And, you know, the saying that the best time to plant a tree is today. Mm-hmm. The, you know, well, the best time to plant a tree was a hundred years ago. The second best time is today, right? Right. So, just get going and start and, and don't compare yourself to anyone else. Don't have FOMO because of what you see on social media. That's a conversation that I feel like we have weekly with yeah. our own kids. So, and, and parents too. And we want, we want the parents to be open to the process and not just be results oriented. We want everybody just to take a breath and enjoy it and learn and have a great time and, and not be worried about what ribbon they're getting or what the result is. Because if you do it the way it's meant to be done, those things will come. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Well, Carlton and Tracy, thank you so much for everything you have done and continue to do for the industry. I think people with your talent and your willingness to educate others is what really keeps this industry going. So thank you so much for all that you do. And I'll continue to watch your journey, but I just appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bethany. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.